electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Contessa Brewer, in for Brian Sullivan, right now on Last Call. As the tide turns, how a red-hot jobs market is shifting President Biden's odds of re-election. Striking back, the U.S. begins retaliatory attacks against militias backed by Iran. We have the fast-moving developments. Fear and leverage in Las Vegas. A big labor walkout could soon hit multiple casinos just in time for the Super Bowl. Layoffs sweep tech and beyond. So what do you do if the cuts come for you? A top expert tells us the one mistake you cannot afford to make. Plus, holy podcast. Joe Rogan scores a quarter billion dollar deal. How in the world are superstar podcasters getting paid? We crunch the numbers. And from L.A. to Tokyo in one hour... You heard me right. One hour flat, a hypersonic future may be a lot closer than you think. All that and more over the next hour. Last Call is up right now. First up on Last Call, Metamania hits Wall Street as the stock breaks multiple records. Meta closed at an all-time high after its blowout quarter, and that helped lift the S&P to a record close. And with the move today, Meta notched the best single day for any stock, gaining the most market cap ever. It added a little more than $200 billion in new market cap. To put that into some perspective, that's an entire Cisco or roughly four Ford Motor Companies. Tonight, Zuckerberg is probably riding high, maybe a lot like that famous surfing video from three years ago. The Meta CEO's wealth jumped by $28 billion after Meta's rally. That means his net worth now stands at $165 billion, making him wealthier than Bill Gates. Of course, Meta has made a lot of people a lot of money. Is Meta the stock to own among the Magnificent Seven? And is the mega cap group still the best bet for 2024? Talk about a power panel to kick things off. Veritas Financial Group Managing Partner and Founder Greg Branch and Deepwater Asset Management Managing Partner Gene Munster join me to kick things off. It's great to see both of you today. All right. First off, let me start with you. When we're talking, Greg, when we're talking about the kind of moves that we saw today, put it into perspective. I think that this is exactly what we would expect to see at this point in the cycle. And I think it foreshadows what we'll see in 2024, Contessa. I've long said that, uh, particularly after the Fed's uh, posture pivot, uh, I long said that when this rally was in its last legs, we'd see breath narrow again around the Magnificent Seven and around others that are enjoying those same generational secular tailwinds, those being cloud, uh, cloud-centered cloud companies, those being AI companies. And the reason that we would see and that we should expect to see breath re-narrow is that they're going to deliver meaningfully superior earnings growth this year than other companies will. 
the slowdown is ahead of us. And while we spent three months celebrating the death of inflation <laughs> and doing so in immaculate fashion, the slowdown is ahead of us. But some of these companies and sectors will be more immune to it than others. Greg, you have been saying that for months. I hear you loud and clear. Gene, let's dive into Meta itself. When we look back here at October 2022, this was an $85 stock. And then at the beginning of 2023, a year ago, we saw an earnings report beat, and then the stock soared from 155 a share to above 200. Now today at 475, is this a stock that can just keep on going? Is it too late to get in? It's not too late when it comes to Meta. Deepwater, we own Meta. Uh, a couple weeks ago, before they reported the quarter, we debated about selling some of our position going into the print, and we decided to hold because our belief is so strong in AI and the impact that it's going to have and their position within that. We asked ourselves, if we truly believe what's going to happen related to AI, we should be owners of Meta. And so uh, we did not sell today. We don't plan on selling. And from our math, this isn't investment advice, but from our math, we think that this uh, earnings should grow about 50% over the next two years. So call it 25% in 2024, another 25% in 2025. If you just figure the stock is going to map to where earnings go from here, that would suggest this is a $1.7, $1.8 trillion market cap, similar to where Google is today. And so I think there still is room. I don't believe that Meta is the best of the Magnificent Seven to own, but it definitely provides room for upside just given the tailwinds that they have. Okay, well, if not Meta, which one? So uh, we also own Google. This has been largely left out. And I think that when you just uh, compare Google to the rest of Megacap this week, it's been a disappointment in terms of kind of their cadence around AI. But the substance of what they've talked about, just stepping back from, I think, the, the commentary on their calls, the substance is they saw a nice reacceleration in their Google Cloud segment. It grew by 320 basis points acceleration. And then separately is what's coming out with uh, Gemini, with this Gemini Ultra model. And Google is in an incredible position with the data that they have relative to search and intent over the last 20 years to train what should be the best foundation model. And we haven't seen it yet, but it reminds me back when those dark days with Meta and there was questions about, you know, what does Meta have? Is What do they stand for? Are they going to get destroyed by TikTok? But you knew just given the strength of their network that they're going to be there. And I feel the same about Google with the strength of their data relative to empowering these powerful AI models. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting, Greg, because we seem to be watching two different markets happening right now. You've got the Magnificent Seven that has seen more than a 60% jump in earnings in growth year over year, 9% for the S&P 500. But then if you remove the Mag 7, the broader index is actually negative. So outside of those big seven, how do you judge, Greg, the quality of the earnings we're seeing? Yeah, look, and, and I think the bifurcation is warranted, and I think Gene hit it on the head. The question, Contessa, becomes where else are you going to get 25% earnings growth this year outside of Amazon, which also talked bullishly about its cloud business, uh, outside of, of Google, outside of Microsoft, uh, and outside of maybe cybersecurity. There's just going to be precious few places to go for that type of earnings growth. And again, yes, I have been saying this for months, Contessa, but <laughs> I, think the, the, I think the fact remains that we're seeing all of the data that you would want to see as a bear. 
We're seeing jobs reports in the 300s. We're seeing wage growth at 60 bips. And so I still remain of a mind that perhaps we haven't seen the last hike. And if that's the case, consensus numbers are meaningfully too high for just about everything outside of these groups that will, will have these tailwinds behind them. Greg Branch, Gene Muster, gener- uh, gentlemen, it's great to spend Friday with you. Thank you very much for your time. Let's take a Thanks. look at your studs and duds for the week. The biggest winners, hey, no surprise here, folks. Meta up 20.1%. Let's not forget the point one. It matters here. Edwards Life Sciences, 17.6% higher. It got FDA approval for a heart valve replacement. Corteva up 15.7%. Seedmaker saw a surge in demand from farmers. The biggest duds today, market access lost 18.7%. Charter Communications down 15.4% after posting a subscriber loss. And freight broker C.H. Robinson worldwide fell 15.2% as demand for trucks slowed. Up next, breaking news out of the Middle East. A wave of U.S. retaliatory strikes hit Iran-backed militias. We have fast-moving developments. Plus is a hot economy shifting the election in President Biden's favor. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. The story's driving the headlines. And tonight, a major story we're watching. The United States just launched retaliatory strikes against Iran-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. CNBC's Eamon Javers is here with the latest. Eamon, what are you learning? Well, Contessa, President Biden issued a statement tonight confirming that U.S. military forces struck targets at facilities in Iraq and Syria uh, that Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and affiliated militia used to attack U.S. forces earlier this week. Our response began today, the president said. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. He also said the United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, but let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. The White House confirmed that it struck three facilities in Iraq and four facilities in Syria this evening. U.S. Central Command said that U.S. military forces struck more than 85 targets with numerous aircraft, including long-range bombers, flown from bases inside the United States. They said the airstrikes employed more than 125 precision munitions 
and struck command and control operations, intelligence centers, rockets and missiles, and unmanned uh, aired vehicle storages, and logistics and munitions supply chain facilities of the militia groups and their sponsors in the region. U.S. officials briefing reporters tonight said that the U.S. response to the attack that killed three Americans this week began tonight, but they said it will not end tonight. And they said that they're confident of the precision of the targets that they selected and that the strikes hit what they intended to hit today. One official, Contessa, said the U.S. saw a number of secondary explosions at the attack sites, and that indicates that ammunition that was stored on the ground was being destroyed in this attack. Back over to you. I also note that uh, the U.S. has hit Iran with sanctions and with criminal charges before for all of this. Any reaction from the Middle East tonight? Not yet, but you can imagine that there will be uh, enormous reaction to this and, and real concern here about a potential widening war between the United States and Iranian proxies throughout the region, uh, whether it's in Yemen uh, or in Syria or in Iraq now. Uh, the danger here for the U.S. is that this draws us into a war directly with Iran itself. That's something that the Biden administration has been careful to try to avoid so far. Uh, and obviously tonight's uh, mission was necessitated by that attack uh, on U.S. forces earlier this week, which killed three U.S. service members. It's clear, though, that the Biden administration would like to end this uh, as quickly as possible and not have it escalate into a wider war. As you look here at the pictures of President Biden today, this was uh, at the dignified transfer uh, ceremony of those three U.S. service members at Dover Air Force Base earlier today. The president going out to greet the caskets of the fallen, uh, fallen service members today, uh, just hours before these strikes tonight, Contessa. Eamon, thank you for that. We appreciate the update. Next up, we're talking about the business of podcasts. The biggest star in the industry is Joe Rogan, and he just inked a new deal with Spotify worth as much as $250 million. It includes a revenue-sharing agreement based on ad sales, and it will also allow Spotify to sell ads and distribute the podcast across several platforms. The show was previously a Spotify exclusive. Now, shares of Spotify popped on the news today. You can see they were up 1.6%. They closed up uh, there. And it's important to note the music and podcast streamer just cut 1,500 jobs this past December in an effort, they said, to right-size the company. Spotify isn't the only one. Sirius laid off almost 500 employees and shut down its podcasting arm Stitcher. NPR cut 10% of its staff and halted the production of four flagship podcasts. Let's bring in Mountain CEO Mark Douglas. I'm curious here, Mark, is the ad market for audio strong enough to support these big deals with the big stars? I think absolutely. I think what you're seeing is that, you know, podcasts, videocasts are really not only very competitive with kind of mainstream media. I mean, they have usually larger audiences than like Tucker Carlson had on Fox, for example. And so they have huge audiences. And what's really key is they don't bring the audience to them. They go where the audience is. So they, they go on Spotify, they go on YouTube, they go on Apple Podcasts. And that's part of why they can build such big audiences and then justify and sustain, you know, what, what I think are shocking revenue streams and therefore, you know, incredible payouts for the for the stars on the show. You know, it's in, it, it's interesting. We're showing right now the uh, that the IAB and PwC in May of 2023 found U.S. podcast ad revenues grew 
more than 115 percent from 2020 to 2022. That's remarkable at a time when we're seeing we, we saw softer sales numbers from Google just now. Traditional media, uh, cable media, they're all talking about the pressured ad environment. What is it about podcasts that advertisers think is worth their money? Yeah, I think it's the loyalty to the brand. So someone like Joe Rogan, he's, you know, his podcast is two and a half to three hours and their ads throughout um, Ben Shapiro, who I think is number two in, in the U.S. or the world in terms of listeners. They, they just have very, very loyal listeners. And it's actually a fair amount of effort to like turn off the ads or, you know, skip the ads. And often the audience is loyal, not only to the person they're listening to, but to yeah, essentially the brands that they're promoting during the podcast. And it's it's just a, a big difference from like television advertising where the ads are not really associated with the brands on the show. Some of them, I mean, I'm looking at the top 25 podcasts in the, in the United States. Smartless with three actors just made a deal this week for $100 million with Sirius over three years. But some of these yeah. are... Traditional media outlets like uh, the New York Times comes up as number five on the list. NPR's yeah. up first. And NPR makes a couple um, appearances here. Dateline, NBC. Is this a way for other traditional media companies that are under pressure to go in and find some revenue streams? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think some of those I listen to, New York Times, I listen to some of the other ones you mentioned. I listen to. I listen to Joe Rogan, and again, the you know the other thing is that you don't. They, these are just you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, some of them are entertaining. Most of them are you know kind of more educational or just very interesting. I mean, Joe Rogan used to do stand up on Sunset Boulevard and the Fear Factor, and now I mean he's making a quarter of a billion dollars by just talking to his friends three times a week. So. And people find it very interesting. I mean, and, I could do that. Yeah. I, like, you know, pay me $300 million or whatever. I, I'm, I'll have some great conversations with my friends. I'll tell you that right now. Are they, take, are they taking the, the, the dollars, the ad dollars away from radio? Are they taking it from Internet ad budgets? Do you have any sense of where it's coming from? I think the ads tend to be more up and coming, like emerging companies. So I, I don't actually think they're, I mean, in some sense, they might be taking them for radio, but radio has tended to be local advertising. These are generally emerging national brands. They're not generally spending more that much money on TV. Some of them are mountain customers, so we know they spend on TV. But these are brands that are, are growing into larger budgets, and it's, it's not really competitive. They're not pulling dollars from other places. They're creating new dollars to help fuel their growth as a brand and obviously fund all these podcasts. I, I, you know, honestly, my mom has been trying to talk me in for years into doing this, and I thought it had just jumped the shark. I was like, podcasts, isn't that so 2015? <laughs> and, you know, apparently not. I was wrong. Mark, great to see you. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Still ahead, a seemingly unstoppable economy. Is it turning President Biden's re-election odds in his favor? Stay with us. It's
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to Last Call. I'm Contessa Brewer and for Brian Sullivan tonight. Today's blockbuster jobs report just blew past expectations. 353,000 jobs added in January, the highest monthly gain in a year. President Biden is celebrating, releasing a statement saying America's economy is the strongest in the world. Today, we saw more proof and more Americans appear to be agreeing with the president. U.S. consumer sentiment surged by its biggest monthly jump since 2005. It's now at its highest level since July 2021. Is Bidenomics finally catching on? Is it enough to secure Biden a second term? We might be getting a little over our skis here, but why not? With us tonight, former top aide to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Melissa DeRosa, and former communications director for the RNC and Republican strategist Doug High. Thank you for being here with Thank me you. tonight. Thank Appreciate you, you coming us. in. All right. So when we're looking at the jobs number alone, when we look at inflation starting to come down, when we look at consumer sentiment, Melissa, how does the president try to capitalize on that other than saying, look, here's a statement? No. And to your point, Contessa, he's got to do much more than that, because I have never seen in all my time in politics a bigger disconnect between the performance of the economy and the credit that the person in office is getting for that performance. And so Joe Biden needs to do a much better job of connecting the things he's actually done in Washington, his real accomplishments, the infrastructure bill, the American Recovery Act, the um, Re Inflation Reduction Act, along with what we're actually now seeing play out in these blockbuster jobs numbers, in the stock market strength, and in inflation beginning to go down. And it's something we just haven't seen him be successful at so far. Doug, is the, is the stability of the economy, I mean, a lot of experts come on CNBC and talk about the soft landing, the Goldilocks economy. Is that a threat to Republican success? Uh, absolutely. And if this translates into um, success for Biden in that he's getting credit for it, you know, we're starting to see, as you, as you showed, consumer sentiment um, is rising, consumer confidence is rising. But confidence in Joe Biden isn't. And part of that is what Melissa was talking about, is that he needs to get out there and campaign on this. And we need to see more of him in the Rose Garden throughout the country. And it's one of the challenges that Biden has is can he get out there and stump in the way that he sh that he should? What can Republicans point to for success in their contributions to the economy? Oh, all they're going to do is talk about what's not working. That's sort of your job when you're in the minority, when you're not the party in power. So they're going to talk about prices. You know, we heard the, the term transitory. Um, when Jen Psaki was at the podium at the White House, she would say that inflation is transitory. Inflation is transitory. Prices aren't. And the, st uh, the sticker shock that voters feel every time they go buy a sandwich, every time they go to the grocery store is still very real. And food prices are still high. Housing costs are still real and high. Insurance costs, I cover insurance. Insurance premiums are outrageous mm -hmm. in many, many places. And yet, I want to show you the results of a Quinnipiac poll that show what do people care about? What is driving the way they plan to vote in this uh, campaign? 24% said preserving democracy. 20% said immigration tied with 
the economy at 20%. Normally we say it's the economy. Mm -hmm. but, but no, in this case, democracy and immigration are, are number one and number two. What's your take on the, to preserving democracy? Let's just get it. Well, it, it really depends on who you're talking to. Preserving democracy are folks are on the Democratic side who are still concerned and upset about January 6th. On the Republican side, people who think that the election was and which it wasn't, was stolen from Donald Trump. So that issue sort of cuts both ways. We sort of take it at face value in New York or in D.C. as being Democrats. It's not just Democrats. And, and when we talk about immigration, what we've seen is in a lot of liberal cities, formerly sanctuary cities, where they're suddenly dealing with a huge influx of migrants, that the sentiment may be turning somewhat. Is immigration a danger? When, when we see the, the video from the border... Is that a threat to Joe Biden? I mean, absolutely. It's his largest threat right now. I mean, number one, the economy is thriving, and it's almost as if Joe Biden is a bystander to that success. So he's got to deal with that issue. But number two, you just cited the Quinnipiac poll. I also saw the Harvard-Harris poll last week, which put number one immigration as the number one most pressing issue on voters' minds. And you have a situation where the Republican governors have sort of brilliantly and expertly used the situation they were in as border states, said to the Democratic mayors and the Democratic governors, you guys are sanctuary cities. Here, you have a taste of what we've been dealing with. Put migrants on buses, sent them to cities like New York City, traditionally liberal cities. And now you have a situation where Eric Adams, on a near daily basis, is criticizing the, the mayor president of, of the New United York. States. Yep. yep, the mayor of New York is criticizing the Democratic president of the United States, saying you're not doing enough, which, by the way, he's not doing enough. And now you have an issue where last week there was a, a murder of a migrant murdering someone else in a shelter. We see video in the last 48 hours of migrants beating up NYPD. And so this is a massive headache for the president that only appears to be getting worse. The other thing is there is an economic impact. There, in it, for the whole nation, there's an economic impact. I'm curious, Doug, do, does any of this uh, have, a, have a consequence for senators and re representatives who are running for office because immigration really is a failure of Congress. Yeah, look, I can go back to 2012 through 2014 when I was working for Eric Cantor, the majority leader, who lost in part because of the immigration issue. And we had a meeting in, in 2014, the Republican leadership with our conference, our, our members of Congress, where we talked about our immigration principles. And when that meeting was over, we didn't talk about immigration for the rest of the year. Our members didn't want to do anything then. They don't want to do anything now. And part of that is this issue overwhelmingly favors Republicans. If you look at Biden's numbers on immigration, even among Hispanic, they're in the cellar. And that's not changing anytime soon. Yeah, we've had guests on, uh, Sol Trujillo, who, who came on and said, look, if you want to talk about weight inflation, wage inflation is a big factor there. And part of the reason we're seeing wage inflation is because there are jobs that are open and employers are desperate to hire. They have to pay more. Mm -hmm. If we had a common sense immigration policy, if we had a way for the migrants who are applying for asylum to work, then it might ease some of the pressure on farmers in Nebraska who are trying to get the, the crops and, and their fields taken care of. 
Well, what you're talking about, Contessa, is rational <laughs> and it's policy based and it's all right. The problem is this is such an emotional issue and it is a place where Donald Trump can say in 2016, I ran on border control and under my time as president of the United States, I had this issue under control. Now, of course, COVID played a large factor in that, but he did do things like the Remain in Mexico policy, which Joe Biden unilaterally reversed. And so right now, they don't want Congress to deal with this issue, right? The Republicans are saying the quiet part out loud. Joe Biden's at 33 percent. We don't want to do something that could help him electorally, even though governmentally it's the right thing to do. And so they see it rightly as a political winner for them, and I think they're going to sit on it. Back to the issue of jobs. We have seen a very strong turn out for labor, that they've won historic con, um, contracts. In Las Vegas on Monday, there's a strike deadline coming. We're going to get into that in the, in later on this hour. And, and President Biden is going to Nevada just ahead of this. Do you think that the issue of union success is a winning issue for President Biden, or could it end up biting him in the butt? Well, it certainly helps Biden in certain places, Pennsylvania, where he's banking on doing very well, being a good example. But labor as a, as a percentage of the workforce is the smallest it's ever been. So even if it does very well for him uh, within those demographics, it's still limited in what its impact is, just given their numbers throughout the country. The other thing you've got to watch for is in 2016, once again, you had all the union leadership endorsing Hillary Clinton. But the trickle down, the members actually went into the voting booth and they voted for Donald Trump. So there, even though you're seeing Joe Biden start to roll out some significant endorsements, the UAW, we're yet to see where that blue collar vote actually goes. Melissa, great to see you. Doug, thank you thank for you. coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, how a labor strike that I just told you about could really cause some hiccups in Las Vegas right before the Super Bowl. We head live to the picket lines. And speaking of the big game, wait until you see the NFL's new gambling policy for its players. Don't go away. Well, the Super Bowl kicks off in a little more than a week in Las Vegas, the first time the big game will be held in the gambling capital of the nation. But the NFL is reminding the participating teams they are not allowed to take part in the action. In a memo, Commissioner Roger Goodell told employees from the Chiefs and the 49ers not to gamble ahead of the Super Bowl. And that includes casino games. No blackjack, no slots, no roulette. The rules also apply to owners, executives, players, coaches, and medical staff of the Super Bowl teams. If caught gambling, a player could be suspended up to two years. The league also reminded all personnel never to share game, team, or player inside information, because that's the world we're living in now. Another potential hiccup for the Super Bowl festivities, several resorts in Las Vegas could see their workers walking off the job Monday. The Las Vegas Culinary Union re represents 60,000 hospitality workers in Nevada and has been working to renegotiate contracts with more than 20 properties. There are still eight holdouts, and the union set a Monday deadline to reach agreements or 3,600 workers could strike. With us tonight for more, Ted Papa George, the Secretary Treasurer of the Culinary Union. It's great to see you, Ted. I can see the workers picketing behind you. What do you want? Well, thanks for having me on, Contessa. I appreciate it. Look, what we want to get is just the same contracts as the other owners have agreed to downtown and on the strip. Now, the contract's been sitting out there for quite a while on the strip. 
We just had another victory about 30 minutes ago. The Rio Hotel workers have achieved their contract. We've won that one. But we're here at the Golden Nugget, and there's several other properties down here that are holding out. I'm curious how this works out because we've already heard from the, about the historic contracts from Wynn, Caesars, and MGM. We've also seen analysts downgrading their estimates for these um, companies in part because of the massive labor costs they're they're going to be they're going to encounter. When you're looking at the downtown properties, we we did we took a look. The Fremont Hotel, which is still negotiating a contract with you, I understand. For Super Bowl weekend, it's charging $349. Win Resorts is $2,500. How does it make sense to pay, say, housekeepers at both of those properties the same? Well, they don't. Just the, the reality is there are differences in wages, probably $34 an hour in wages here. But the benefits are the same. Healthcare, pension, and we have great healthcare and a great pension plan. So there are differences. But when it comes to our contract, our five-year contract, the wage increase we're talking about, it'll be less downtown, but it'll be the biggest wage increase we've ever had in our history for our workers. Probably $2.10 an hour, which will equal to about, oh, get up to $2.50, $2.75 in the first year for non-tip workers, and then money for healthcare and pension. So the, the, the raises down here will be historic, uh, but they're not the same as a strip. But what we are saying, we've already got deals signed downtown at the Circa, at the D, at the Golden Gate, the El Cortez, the Plaza. So the Golden Nugget, Binion's, Horseshoe, Fremont, Main Street, they've got no excuse. The other employers have done the right thing. We just want to keep a standard, and there's no association here. They won't bargain together. So we're the cop. If we get yeah. the right deal with one company, we got to get it at all. Of them. All right. Ted Papa George, thank you for joining us amid your uh, picketing workers out there. And we'll stay in touch with you ahead of the Super Bowl next week, because obviously, if workers walk off those properties, the guests who are coming in for Super Bowl are going to feel that. Coming up, layoffs intensify in tech and beyond. What should you do first if the axe comes for you? A top expert is here with can't miss advice. Well, we have a bonus tomorrow's news tonight for you. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan's compensation for 2023 officially out, and it's down 3% to $29 million. Shares of Bank America were up just over 1.5% in 2023. Since Moynihan became CEO in 2010, B of A shares are up more than 123%. Next up, the New York Post is reporting that FanDuel's Super Bowl commercial will now have to be adjusted in the wake of the death of Carl Weathers today. The Rocky star and the former NFL linebacker was 76. And the ad featured Weathers coaching former NFL star Rob Gronkowski uh, for a FanDuel event. Despite the strong jobs report today, widespread layoffs are still of major concern for many U.S. workers. These are just some of the companies that have cut jobs this year alone. And it's a lot. According to the job outplacement firm Challenger Gray and Christmas, layoffs last month jumped 136% from December 2023. And no surprise, the tech and finance sectors were some of the hardest hit. 
So what do you do if you get laid off? How do you best position your career afterwards? Let's bring in Runo Okiyama on this. She's a workplace solutions expert and an office move management executive at Elo Spaces. Runo, it's nice to see you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, there's a lot of people right now, and I just ran through all of those companies, who might be feeling discombobulated about losing their jobs and getting that notice. When it happened to you, what was the first thing you did? Great question. I will say my heart goes out to those that this is happening to because it did happen to me as well. And I was part of the layoffs uh, January 20th of 2023 from Google. And the first emotion that comes is that disbelief and shock. But I do believe that if I was better prepared, which is why I'm here today, to make sure others are better prepared so you're not as shocked if it does happen to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I know you have some advice for steps that you do. Walk us through some of them here. First off, Brilliant. you say, get expert advice. Yes. I'd say get expert advice as the first step because there are three ways one can go about this. If you choose to retire early, that's great. Get, a, get advice there. But if you choose to start your own business or a startup or some kind of entrepreneurship journey, seeking advice from the experts is the goal. And I would say for me, I did find those experts on LinkedIn through a lot of mentors, through um, specifically through Toastmasters and a lot of these um, leadership community groups, things of that nature. They really showed up as the mentors in that space and the advisors for me. Okay. And what are your three don'ts? Don't do oh. this. I would say don't, please don't do this alone. Don't go at it alone. Don't neglect your physical and mental well-being. And please do not uh, forget about the money on the table in terms of filing for unemployment. That's really important as well. Uh, was there anything that you look back on that and you wish you had known when you were going through your period of unemployment? Brilliant question. I would say for me, I would, I would have preferred to see it not as, a, not as an end. I didn't have anyone tell me that, you know, layoffs are actually an opportunity for new beginnings. And I think that lens is very important in a time like this with the layoffs so rampant that if it does happen to you, which it might, it's not the end. It's actually a new beginning, an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And as we see the numbers soar, 2023, that was over a quarter million people. But as the numbers grow in 2024, it's a new opportunity for each one of those people to reinvent themselves, either searching for a new job or starting another business. Bruno, it's great advice. I've been there too. It's rough, but there is, an, there is an end. There is a corner to turn. Thank you for your advice. Thank you. Let's get to our quicker than the ticker, all the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Car commutes are getting worse, especially in D.C., New York, and Boston the last three years. Location tech company TomTom Tom says it's because people are going back to the office. A blackout in downtown Toronto last night for three hours, resulting in seven elevator rescues. The local power company blamed a raccoon, saying it made contact with the equipment. No word on the raccoon's condition. From raccoons to groundhogs, it's Groundhog's Day, and Punxsutawney Phil failed to see his shadow, meaning spring is near. Except that's accurate only about 39% of the time, according to the Storm Facts Weather Almanac. Connecticut is the first state ever to provide widespread medical debt relief. Governor Ned Lamont says the state will cancel roughly $650 million in debt for an estimated 250,000 residents. 45% of American women older than 20 are living with some form of cardiovascular disease, which kills more women than all types of cancer combined, according to the American Heart Association. And so if you thought you've seen a sea of red today, 
You were right. We at CNBC are helping to raise awareness about heart disease in women on this national Wear Red Day. Coming up, if only Taylor Swift had one of these to get to the Super Bowl in time, it might make the betting in Canada far less interesting. Why a hypersonic era for travel may be coming a lot sooner than you think. Do you know that uh, in, in Canada you can actually bet on this? Will Taylor Swift make it to Vegas for the Super Bowl? It's allowed. You can bet on it in sportsbooks in Ontario, but not here. The pop megastar has a concert in Japan the night before. Presumably will take a private jet for about 11 hours straight to Las Vegas, where boyfriend Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs will take on and rumor has it, will beat, uh uh-huh, the San Francisco 49ers. It's a long journey, but by our estimates, Taylor should arrive the night before Super Bowl in time for maybe even a late night party. Global air travel in a much speedier way has been sought after for decades, but we may be nearing a breakthrough. Houston-based Venus Aerospace is developing a hypersonic, low-orbit space plane called the Stargazer. It will be able to go from Tokyo to New York in one hour. Now, you may have heard of the supersonic Concorde before. This aircraft would be nearly five times faster. Joining me now to talk about the technology that would make this possible is Venus Aerospace co-founder and CEO, Sassy Duggleby. I mean, one hour to go what now, even in a private jet, would take 11? That's pretty remarkable. It's, it's totally world-changing. So, you know, my husband and I were actually living in Japan. So we've we've experienced Taylor's exact problem. We were deployed overseas um, and literally trying to figure out how to get back to the United States. And, you know, while Taylor, you know, chartered a private jet, we decided to start a company to solve this problem. So basically, you are in your own way chartering a private jet and a new path. I'm just curious and I want I'm curious about the technology that makes that possible. But you're going to have to explain it in simple terms, because it's my brother who's the aviation engineer, a.k.a. rocket scientist, he says, in our family, not me. So, but, but give me the way that you've advanced this so that it could be possible. Yeah, so we're using next-generation technology. So um, it's called a rotating detonation rocket engine. Um, and detonation is just the scientific term for supersonic combustion, so really high-speed combustion. Um, and if you can detonate propellant, you get more energy out of it. And so it just makes for more efficient travel. Um, so really, we have the single engine. We have an engine that can be single use to take off all the way um, and get us across the globe in one hour. How close are you to having this being built? I mean, is it is it ready to fly or is it a concept that still needs to be proven? Yeah, so we're fi- we're firing rocket engines on a daily basis here at our headquarters in Houston. Um, and then the next step is actually to integrate that engine onto a drone that could fly hypersonic speeds um, and then, you know, stepping up into our ultimate goal, which is this commercial commercial vehicle called the Stargazer. Um, so, but we're talking, you know, in the next decade, not, you know, it's it's near term, not decades away. What's the environmental impact? Yeah, so it's actually, um, we would use 50% less carbon to cross the globe compared to a similar sized aircraft. Um, so because we're having to use, uh, the difference in a rocket and a jet is a rocket carries its own oxygen and a jet has to um, pull in oxygen from the atmosphere. And so, you know, because we're using both an oxidizer and fuel, we're actually um, far more sustainable. 
What are the other use cases for this? I mean, who's interested in your technology? Um, so there's definitely a national security aspect. Hypersonics is one of the top priorities for the Department of Defense um, and for NATO. And so we're looking at it both from de defense purposes, but also from commercial applications. Um, and even, you know, think about hyperlogistics. How does the world change if you could get parts or um, factories down across the globe or even opening up um, global organ transplant? Um, there's think, a lot of applications think, for high-speed high-speed deliveries. And are there other competitors working on a similar concept now? Um, so there's different groups chasing high-speed jets. Um, the difference is we always say we're actually a slow rocket. Our last company, so we worked um, in the rocket industry beforehand. Our last company, our vehicle went Mach 25. We're just trying to go Mach 9, Mach 5, you know, much slower. Um, so we, we have a different take on it. Instead of being a fast jet, why don't you just be a really slow rocket? Um, and, you know, that'll get you across the globe really quickly. Modest goals, Mach 9. Sassy, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was a big day for Meta. However, this wouldn't be the case if it weren't for a significant event that happened 20 years ago this weekend. The largest social media platform in the world launched, and it was Facebook. Originally, it was built in order to connect Harvard students to one another. More than 1,000 people registered in the first 24 hours, but of course, that was just the beginning. Facebook now has more than 3 billion monthly active users. For context, that is nine times the U.S. population. Even your grandmothers are using it. Meta went public in 2012. Since then, the stock has skyrocketed 1,100%. So if you had invested $10,000 in Meta when it IPO'd, you would have banked more than 127,000 bucks. Pretty good. That's your last call this Friday. Brian's back Monday. Hope you have a great weekend, everybody. American Greed is coming up next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.